Welcome to Saturday Evening Torah Class, an in-depth, interdisciplinary study of the Hebrew Scriptures. Tonight's lesson is week number 20, Genesis 19 and 20. <clears throat> you know, we've talked from time to time about bringing the Jewishness and Hebrew language and culture back into Christianity like about every week. Right, and back into the basic, of course, understanding of the Holy Scriptures. Man tonight told me that after the last couple of weeks, he went and started doing a study on Yahweh. And what he's finding out is changing a lot of things in his life. Um, and here in the next few verses, we get an example of why that is so important here in Genesis 19. Now let me preface this, what we're going to read in a couple minutes, by saying something about the translator and writer of the complete Jewish Bible right, that I read to you from. He is a Messianic Jew. Okay? So while he brings the Jewishness back into the scriptures, he also brings some tradition with him. Right, that can swing the translation from having the typical overweighted Gentile bent that we're all used to reading to having a somewhat overweighted traditional Jewish bent. Okay? And it shows up here, what we're going to read, because his Jewish background causes him to not use God's personal name, Yahweh, where it normally appears. And of course, instead... He substitutes the traditional word Adonai, or its English translation, Lord. And we're going to find that throughout the complete Jewish Bible. So, let's get into it this evening. Open your Bibles to uh, Genesis 19. We're going to start at, at uh, verse 13, where we left off last week. Um, if you have the uh, complete Jewish Bible, it's page 18. All right. Uh, Genesis chapter 19, verse 13. I'm going to read it uh, through 29. We'll start at maybe verse 12. Okay. The men said to Lot, Do you have any people here beside yourself? Whomever you have in the city, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, bring them out of this place, because we're going to destroy it. Adonai has become aware of the great outcry against them, and Adonai has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke with his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up and leave this place, because Adonai is going to destroy the city. But his sons-in-laws didn't take him seriously. When morning came, the angels told Lot to hurry. Get up, they said, and take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Otherwise, you're going to be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he dallied. So the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. Adonai was being merciful to him and led them, leaving them outside the city. When they had brought them out, he said, flee for your life. Don't look behind you. Don't stop anywhere in the plain, but escape to the hills. Otherwise... You will be swept away. And Lot said to them, Please, no, my Lord. Here your servant has already found favor in your sight, and you have shown me even greater mercy by saving my life. But I can't escape to the hills, because I'm afraid the disaster will overtake me and I'll die. 
Look, there's a town nearby to flee to. It's a, it's a small one. Please let me escape there. Isn't it just a small one? And that way I'll stay alive. And he replied, All right, I agree to do what you've asked. I won't overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry and escape to that place because I can't do anything until you arrive there. Okay, for this reason, the city was named Zoar, which means small. Now, by the time Lot had come to Zoar, the, city, the sun had risen over the land. Then Adonai caused sulfur and fire to rain down upon Saddam and Amor from Adonai out of the sky. He overthrew those cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and everything growing in the ground. But his wife behind him looked back and she became a column of salt. Abraham got up early in the morning, went to the place where he had stood before Adonai and looked out toward Saddam and Amora, scanning the entire plain. There before him, the smoke was rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. But when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and sent Lot out away from the destruction when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Well, in verses 13 and 14, where my complete Jewish Bible reads Adonai and yours likely reads Lord, the actual original Hebrew was yud Hey fav Hey, right? Yahweh. And who is Yahweh? The Lord God Almighty is being referred to here by his actual personal name. When the two angels explained that Yahweh sent them and Yahweh has instructed them to destroy the city. A, a pre-incarnate Jesus didn't instruct them. The Holy Spirit did not instruct them, as we talked about as a separate piece. God the Father, the totality of God, Yahweh, who Gentile Christians call Jehovah, instructed them. So verse 13 actually reads, Yahweh has become aware of the great outcry against them and Yahweh has sent us to destroy it. Now let me be very clear, okay? since it is amazing what some people seem to think I mean by this. Okay? The word Yahweh, the Hebrew letters yud Hey vav Hey, right, actually literally appear here. Okay, this is not speculation, this isn't doctrine or tradition, this is not even a matter of it's in some ancient Hebrew manuscripts and not in others. The word Yahweh is literally there in all original Hebrew manuscripts where our Bibles say Lord or God in the Old Testament. Now a little further down in verse 18, Lot responds to the angels who were telling him to leave by saying, please know my Lord. Now, by the, using the word Lord, did Lot think he was talking to God? Yahweh are now aware that these men were not men, but to the angels? Okay. The word in this verse, in Hebrew, used for Lord is Adonai. Okay. And as I mentioned before, Adonai can be used to refer to God, or it can simply mean generically Lord or Master a lord or master of any sort, a human or spiritual. Here, the actual original text is, please know Adonai. Right? 
Now, within the context, uh, it is not referring to God, it is referring to the generic form of Adonai. Lot was responding to the angels, calling them Adonai, lords, masters. Okay? It was just a way of speaking in that era. Okay, that was a sign of respect and courtesy. All right? And in this case, recognizing your power and authority. Now, I wanted to point this out. Not because the meaning in our Bibles is necessarily wrong, but because when we understand the expanded meaning that Hebrew gives us, we understand what's going on so much more clearly. Okay? Now, we can know much more precisely which manifestation of God now that is speaking in chapter 19. And some of you may be thinking, so is that all that important? Yeah, it is. All right? Because it is these bits and pieces that we can put together so to understand the scriptures accurately. Okay? And remember, at least half of the New Testament is Old Testament quotes. Okay? And the book of Revelation, it might surprise you to know, is primarily a compiling of the Old Testament prophecies and a putting of them in chronological order. That's what it amounts to. They're not that much new in Revelation. Okay? So if we really want to understand what's happening in the New Testament, we need to get the Old Testament right first. Okay, now, Lot leaves, takes his wife and two unmarried daughters. But these so-called sons-in-law won't go. They simply don't believe what the angel said. Bad idea. Okay. Now, angels are messengers from God. Okay. That's their purpose. They were created as messengers. They don't think this stuff up on their own. All right. So, if you ever run into an angel, listen to them. Okay. Now, these sons-in-law didn't survive their skepticism, and neither did Lot's wife. These so-called sons-in-law are, are a little bit of a mystery, mainly because the Hebrew isn't clear here. The term used could mean men to whom Lot's two daughters were simply engaged, right? or more than likely it was that these were husbands to other daughters. Of Lot, not the two spoken of here. All right. In either case, they would have been men of Saddam, pagans. All right. Now here's a little clue when reading the Bible. If you only see a couple of children mentioned, it's probable that that couple had many other children as well. All right. There just wasn't any reason to speak of them. In the biblical era, for someone to have only two or three children would have indicated either the deaths of others of their children or that they were just very young and starting out as a family. Right? Or, and, and perhaps maybe there was something medically wrong uh, with either the husband or wife. A bare minimum of five or six children would have been the norm. Right? And, and due to disease and other hazards, some of a couple's children dying at very young ages or at birth right, was usual and expected. So you can draw your own conclusions about whether Lot had more children or not, but I can't imagine he had only two daughters and that was the end of that. Now apparently Lot still didn't recognize the danger 
or the imminence of a, what was about to occur. All right? Because the angels told Lot to hurry up and leave, but he just didn't seem to get it. Right? So he, he apparently was taking his time and packing up and making sure that everything in his duffel bag, real nice, right? didn't forget anything. So one of the angels intervened and literally grabbed him, it says, by his hand, then grabbed his daughter's hand and drugged them outside the city walls. Now, here we should remember a type that is being established now. Type and a pattern. Recall that upon the angel's arrival, only a few hours earlier, Lot had made them matzah, unleavened bread, for them to eat. And now he has to hurry to leave. Now you can bet, though it's not stated, that whatever food they took with them, I mean, they weren't going to stop at a McDonald's. Okay, So whatever food they were going to have, they were going to be carrying. You can be sure that the food that he took with him was that unleavened bread that had been made the evening before the morning he was about to flee. And of course, that type and pattern is carried forward several centuries later to the making of unleavened bread before Israel hurriedly left Egypt. Now, the angels instruct Lot to flee to the safety of the nearby hills. But the ever-reticent Lot says, no, I'd rather go to a city. Lot liked his comforts. Cave dwelling was not his idea of life. Okay, and you recall that when he and Adam, uh, rather, uh, Abraham had parted ways, and Abraham had given Lot the choice of what part of all that land he preferred for himself and his flocks, he chose the, that end of the Jordan Valley that bumped up against the Dead Sea and he went to live in Sodom. Okay. And the next thing we see is Lot living in that city. So Lot obviously didn't have a taste for the life of a nomad all right, or a shepherd. He wanted to reside in a more refined city atmosphere and the comfort and security or an easier life that it afforded him. Okay? That he was living in Sodom makes it clear he had turned his back on his heritage and on his way of life in favor of the way of the pagans. In many ways, Lot was a shadow of the tribes of the northern kingdom of Ephraim Israel who turned their backs on their own heritage in favor of taking on the lifestyle of their Gentile neighbors. Now keep in mind, though, that nowhere do we see Lot renouncing his faith in the God of Israel. Lot wasn't a bad man. He's just a weak man. And prone to succumbing to these everyday temptations of the world. I mean, Lot's life is a very good illustration of what we today refer to as a carnal Christian. Okay. As weak as Lot's faith and apparently as unusable as Lot was for God's purposes, God still saved him. For Lot was, after all, one of his. But what a sad epitaph and summary we get of Lot's existence on earth. Now, Lot asks to be sent to a small nearby city. 
In fact, the city is so small that its name is small. All right, so are. No, there wasn't a city there named, named small at that time. Actually, what we're witnessing here is a name change. The city he went to at that time was called Bela, B-E-L-A, Bela. Now it's called Zor, in memory of this event. Lot and his family arrived there in Bela, now called Zor. And quickly, the cities of Saddam and Gomorrah are obliterated. Okay. The smoke was so thick and it rose so high that Abraham, standing on a hill far off in Hebron, was able to see it. Okay. Then we find out exactly why God saved Lot. In verse 29, we're told it was because Abraham had asked him to. Okay. It was because the righteous Abraham had pled for the life of Lot that he survived. And that's something that we parents all right, and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and grandparents need to keep in mind. The prayers of a righteous person, and if you're saved, you're righteous before God, can lead to the saving of the unsaved or even the rescuing, rescuing of the saved but very weak. Okay, I, I have no doubt that my father's prayers are all that stood between me and oblivion. I mean, uh, which I very much deserved and was moving rapidly towards many years ago. I mean, perhaps the only thing, you know, that can deliver or even sustain the life of our children and grandchildren is our prayers. Okay, and I have no doubt that Lot was oblivious, that it was Abraham who had interceded for him and kept him from this destruction. But the ever weak Lot wasn't satisfied with his safe haven in Zoar, in Bela. Behaving as this carnal believer, and yet in another bad judgment, Lot leaves the place God had prepared for him, and he takes his two daughters with him, and they moved into a cave up in the hill country. And pointing it out here, you see it in the circle on, on the east side, the southern end of the Dead Sea. Now, Lot, because of his fears and, and, and lack of obedience and discipline and faith, had put his daughters in a terrible predicament. Okay. They were now in a remote location, pretty far from any husband prospects. Right? And archaeology has shown that the area to which Lot and his two daughters migrated was utterly barren and without population centers during that era. Okay. I mean, his daughters, physically mature enough to bear children, would have been terribly ashamed for not having children because that was the primary duty of a woman in those days. So now, without husbands, and apparently yet to bear children, the sisters made a pact with each other. They were going to get their father drunk, have sex with him so they would have children. Now, this seemed perfectly fine to their twisted little Sodom minds, right? for they had been raised in that city where this wicked act would have been pretty much par for the course. But this was not normal, not even for Bible times. A man fathering children by his own daughters was really looked down upon. It could get him executed. 
Okay. And as a result of this abomination, there were two children born who would go on to become the founders of the nation of Moab and Ammon, two arch enemies of Israel and therefore of God. I mean, it's amazing what our selfish and faithless acts can lead to. Let's go ahead and read a little further now in, in Genesis. As a matter of fact, we'll start up at 23 and read to the end. Just kind of overlap a little bit here. By the time Lot had come to Zoar, the sun had risen over the land, and Adonai caused sulfur and fire to rain down on upon Sodom and Amorah from Adonai out of the sky. And he overthrew those cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and everything growing in the ground. But his wife behind him looked back, and she became a column of salt. Abraham got up early in the morning, went to the place where he stood before Adonai, and looked out towards Sodom and Amorah scanning the entire plain. There before him the smoke was rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. But when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and sent Lot out away from the destruction when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Lot went up from Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters because he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. The firstborn said to the younger, Our father's old, and there isn't a man on earth to come into us in the manner customary of the world. Come, let's get our father drunk with wine, then we'll sleep with him. That way we'll enable our father to have descendants. So they plied their father with wine that night. The older one went in, slept with her father. He didn't know when she lay down or when she got up. The following day, the older said to the younger, Here, I slept last night with our father. Let's make him drink wine again tonight. You go in and sleep with him, and that way we'll enable our father to have descendants. They plied their father with wine that night also. The younger one got up, slept with him, didn't know when she lay down or when she got up. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The older one gave birth to a son named Amon, uh, named, uh, and called him Moab. He is the ancestor of Moab to this day. The younger one also gave birth to a son. She called him Ben-Ami. Right, he's the ancestor of the people of Ammon to this day. Yes. Well, they're kind of in this area. We'll see that in just a second. So here we are in this Bible story that's gained such universal and legendary status. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it's rather odd, I think, because I think we would expect that this, that we would normally get a very long and agonizingly detailed account of this cataclysm. Yeah. One so horrific that we would have to pay very close attention so that we would do whatever we could to avoid that fate. Yet we have a total of about four or five verses that describes it. To say details lacking is kind of an understatement. I mean, all we're told is that destruction came from the sky. Right? It, it came down, it says, like rain of fire and brimstone, burning sulfur. Okay? I mean, it's an interesting choice of words. Right? Because burning sulfur was used to destroy garbage dumps located just outside the city walls of ancient cities. And once lit, sulfur burns 
hot, very high heat. And it, of course, emits such a strong and definite odor that it could mask the foulest of other common odors. And, of course, the fire purged pests and diseases. Now, we're also aware that fire in the Bible is symbolic of purging evil and of refining precious metals. God destroyed what he saw as a garbage heap of perverted humanity using a method sure to be understood by all who knew of this judgment. Okay. Now, rather than focus on the horror and death and divine retribution, um, the Bible story of Sodom and Gomorrah focuses on the moral aspect that caused the destruction. The destruction itself is almost incidental. Now, what do we make of this phrase? In verse 26, where Lot's wife was turned into, it says, a pillar of salt because she looked back when she was fleeing. The Hebrew term, not looking back, is an idiom. It means to dally or to hesitate. What appears to have actually happened is that Lot's wife didn't heed the warnings and it says she lagged behind. Right? She was pulled outside the city by the angels along with Lot and the two daughters who were still living at home, but she must have stopped just outside the walls. And the indication is that immediately upon Lot and his family stepping outside those city walls, the destruction began. So Lot's wife must have suffered the same fate as the other inhabitants of that city. Now, it's long been thought that this tradition about her becoming a pillar of salt was a redaction sometime after the time of the Jewish exile to Babylon. The oldest traditions going back to before Babylon um, do, do not acknowledge this part of the story about her becoming salt. Nowhere do we find it mentioned. Now, we're not going to linger here because it's a riddle that's not likely to be answered. Um, in verse 27, we see now Abraham is re-injected now into this continuing Torah saga. He awakens, he stands on a high place, and he looks off and he sees the smoke of the district of Sodom rising far off into the distance. I wonder, did Abraham have faith that God would save Lot from this now completed destruction? You know what? We're not told. Because while Abraham had bargained with God that if ten righteous people remained in that wicked place, he wouldn't destroy Sodom, uh, uh, Sodom he never mentioned Lot by name. Okay? I mean, we can certainly assume that Abraham was bargaining for Lot's sake. But we can also confidently assume that Abraham felt certain. I mean, we can't, can't know for sure if Abraham felt certain that Lot would be saved. You know, I, I think Abraham's hope was that if, if major if, 
Lot had remained righteous, something which Abraham could not have known for sure, would God spare Lot and his family? And Yahweh's answer was yes. Was Lot still righteous in God's eyes? That was another matter. Okay, I can't know for sure, but as we've watched Abraham's life, we do know that he was just a man. And who would not have wondered if Lot had died amidst the ruins of Sodom or survived? Abraham could not have known. You know, who among us with children and grandchildren don't watch them and wonder at times, are they saved? Will they be saved? Will the ones who seem to have wandered so far away from the ways of the Lord be rescued from the coming time of eternal destruction? We can hope, but we, we can't know for sure. All we can do is pray, okay, which is really what Abraham was doing in his bargaining session with the Lord. That was a prayer. That was praying with God. It was striving with God through prayer. And the last nine verses now of Genesis chapter 19 are historically quite important. They chronicle the birth of two nations which will become enemies of Israel, Moab and Ammon. And if we could sum this up in a soundbite, it would be that Moab and Ammon were born of sin, and so sin was their destiny. I mean, we know from the narrative that Lot was an older man and that that family of three was now living in a cave in the hills to the east of the Dead Sea. Obviously, some time had passed for the two daughters of Lot were becoming concerned that they weren't going to be able to fulfill the entire purpose of a woman in that era because they believed there wasn't any men left except for their father. I mean, I, I just don't think we have to go too far out of the box to understand from the statement of verse 31 that our father is old and there is no man on earth to come into us in the customary manner of the world. This family was convinced that they were as Noah and his small family were, were that they were the only people left on earth. The two girls apparently didn't understand that what had happened to Sodom and Gomorrah was but a localized disaster. Okay? And it would seem that neither did Lot understand that. I mean, we've watched Lot become more and more fearful, less interested in facing the world. More interested in just assuming there was little left to do with life but to eke out a meager existence and die when it was his time. Quite literally, the three remaining family members of Lot thought they had witnessed the end of the world. Okay. Does faith bring fears of this kind? Heavens, no. Okay. Are you living in a constant fearful state? I can assure you that fear is not from God. Okay. Nor does it have anything to do with being God Fearing. That's not what that means. So the two daughters ply their father with wine, get him drunk, then have sex with him in order to get pregnant. The older daughter was the first to bear a child, Moab. And then the younger produces 
Amon, Ben-Ami. These verses and others in Deuteronomy and the Psalms attest to the kinship of the people of Moab and Ammon. Two lot. Okay. Sometimes Moab and Ammon are referred to as brothers. Okay. But that was just the common way of speaking as, as we speak of one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay. It is interesting that in Deuteronomy, two nations are singled out as being those with, with which intermarriage to Israelites may not take place. Moab and Ammon. And we know from archaeology that Moab and Ammon were well-established nations before the Exodus. By the way, Ammon, capital of Jordan, okay, is just the Arabic pronunciation of the ancient territory of Ammon, all right, which of course is the area that Jordan occupies today. Now here's the last we're going to hear of Lot. And what an inglorious epitaph is written for him. What an unsavory last chapter of his life is left for posterity. How long he lived, we don't know. What he did from this point forward, we don't know. We only know that he lived anything but a victorious life. I want to get a little further tonight, so I'm, I'm going to push a little bit. I want to get into chapter 20. So let's get back into uh, to, uh, to the word to chapter 20 Abraham traveled from there toward the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur while living as an alien in Gerar Abraham was saying of Sarah his wife she's my sister so Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You're about to die all right, because of the woman you've taken since she's someone's wife. Now, Abimelech had not come near her, so he said, Lord, will you kill even an upright nation? Didn't he himself say to me, She's my sister? And, he, uh, and even she herself said, He's my brother. In doing this, my heart's been pure. My hand's innocent. God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that in doing this your heart has been pure and I too have kept you from sinning against me. This is why I didn't let you touch her. Therefore return the man's wife to him now. He's a prophet. He'll pray for you so that you'll live. But if you don't return her, know that you will certainly die, you and all who belong to you. So Avimelech got up early in the morning, called all of his servants and told them these things, and the men became very afraid. Then Avimelech called Abraham and said, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you to cause you to bring on me and my kingdom such a great sin? You have done things to me that just aren't done. All right? And Avimelech went on asking Abraham, Whatever could have caused you to do such a thing? And Abraham replied, It was because I thought, there could not possibly be any fear of God in this place. So they will kill me in order to get my wife. But she actually is also my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And so she became my wife. What God had me, when God had me leave my father's house, I told her, do me this favor. Wherever we go, 
say about me, he is my brother. Avimelech took sheep, cattle, and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned him to Sarah, his wife. Then Avimelech said, look, my country lies before you. Live where you like. To Sarah, he said, here, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. That will allay the suspicions of everyone who's with you. Before everyone, you are cleared. Abraham prayed to God. God healed Avimelech and his wife and slave girls so they could have children. For Adonai had made every woman in Avimelech's household infertile on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Um, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham again becomes the focus now. And here we find him on the move. For generally the only reason that a pastoralist moves to find fresh water and grazing land for his flocks and herds because where he had been was apparently used up. Okay? There is no reason to assume from anything the Bible's told us that he had moved until now beyond the hill country of Hebron. So moving south, Abraham, he's up here somewhere, he moves south and he stops at a place called Gerar, inland, just a little, all right, um, from an area that in the not too distant future would become known as Philistia, the land of the Philistines. In fact, it's entirely probable that the king of Gerar, Abimelech, was in fact one of the earliest Philistine settlers. And it helps us a great deal now to understand the geography um, because it's pertinent to our study to know, first of all, that the Kadesh spoken of here that's just a little bit into the Sinai Peninsula is the same as the biblical Kadesh Barnea. Same place. Now, it was apparently some kind of a cult site. All right? And it was as it was just a little distance into the barren Sinai Peninsula and, and Kadesh had good, good water, it was undoubtedly a place where the, the Bedouins came from time to time to trade and to worship their gods and to get supplies and, and so on. Now the place called Shur, S-H-U-R, is actually in Egypt. Okay? Shur is just the Hebrew word form of the Aramaic word Shura, which means a wall. Okay? Centuries before Abraham, the Egyptians had built a fortification wall running roughly along the line of the modern-day Suez Canal. Okay? And its purpose was to protect itself against the hordes of Asians that came down from the north and that constantly pestered Egypt. And as we're going to see in a few chapters, eventually those Asians would overrun Egypt and actually rule Egypt for more than a century. Now, there's reasonable evidence that that wall existed 400 years before the time of Abraham. Okay. Because in the ancient Egyptian archives, there's a document that scholars have dubbed the prophecy of 
Nefertiti. All right, dated to that time, and in that document there is already talk of the wall of the ruler that was built so that the Asians couldn't come into Egypt. There was also a trade route that wound its way from Kadesh, headed over towards the sea, and went on up into the delta area of, uh, of Egypt. Um, you know, sometimes we get these ideas that all these biblical characters we read about, particularly early on, were the equivalent of Lewis and Clark. You know, blazing new trails um, to new destinations, people where people would never been before. All right. Well, that's not the case at all. Virtually all of our Bible heroes moved to known places, traveling long-established trade routes. Okay, it is no different different here in Genesis. I think we'll call it a night right there. Welcome to Saturday Evening Torah Class, an in-depth, interdisciplinary study of the Hebrew Scriptures. Tonight's lesson is week number 20, Genesis chapters 20, uh, 19 and 20.